it turns out that the rumors are true, Lizzo, um, because uh, last week we l- released an episode where we dragged Kirk, uh, and the test was to see if he actually listened to our podcast. And it turns out when Kirk is not on the podcast, he doesn't fucking listen to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I have listened. I have listened in the past, though. I have not listened to the two or what, how many this year I have not been on. But uh, my friend kindly told me that um, that I was being dragged. So I, uh, I won't be listening now. No. <laughs> and it seems other people aren't listening either because the, the, view, the, view, the listens on that are low. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, Kirk, where have you been, actually? Um, I don't know. Why was You I were on? pretending <laughs> to be straight, remember? Was I taking no, you, were like, be, I... you were pretending to be um, straight at a Flyers game. Oh, I had friends. You had a Flyers game last weekend, last week, and then something else the other week before. She's a busy girl. She's a busy girl. Yeah, Tuesdays, you know. I've been <laughs> drinking a lot of apple juice, too. Honestly, same. Okay, this is a pod confession. Um, Today, I just had a colonoscopy, so if the audio cuts in the middle of this episode, you know why. Um, For the last 48 hours, I have had three jugs of Gatorade. I have had two cans of ginger ale. I have had more glasses of water than I can realize, and I had a liter and a half of Martinelli's apple juice. It's disgusting. No, it's amazing. <laughs> well, now I'm like a convert, I feel like, to this apple juice because, Kirk, it is better than any it's apple juice. So I've good. I mean, that's so good. Listen, I don't believe. Like, that's what they do. Yeah, but it's, it's just better. Like, what else does Mott's make? You know, yeah, they're true. probably they're probably part of a larger corporation now. But, like, this is literally 100% just apples, like purified yeah. in juice form. It's so good. And you know, I, I, I posted on Instagram about this and I tagged them and they replied and I asked if they would make a hard cider and allegedly they do. Um, but it's only sold in like three or four different states and then it's sold at Total Wine, which I believe there's a Total Wine in Delaware. Yes. I'm not going to go to that state, but I have a friend that works there. So I told her to pick it up for Why me. Why did you say that state? Like it's some type of bad place. It's literally Delaware. It is the home of our great president. Oh, that son of a bitch. Oh, my God. Stupid son of a we bitch. Spent, we spent last week dragging I'm be honest, man. we can become an alt-right podcast, and that is where we cash in. I, I think, think pop if off. Kirk and Paul convert to the right choice, and I accept, and I, I will say, I am one-eighth Caucasian, so. Embrace the eighth. <laughs> That sounds like a slogan we should not be saying. Yeah, wait, I don't know what it means. Amendment? But, um, well, anyway, I think we need to continue. We should carry on. Let's carry on. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to Let's Unpack That, your weekly podcast where queer and questionable millennials unpack topics at the top of our minds through the lens of crippling anxiety and a lack of expertise. Tonight, um, we are talking about political affiliations. We have um, a very special guest, which we will introduce to you shortly. Um, But before we get to that, um, first, some reads for our panel of podcasters here. He's the person who organized our guest speaker this week, and he's also the most likely to call a member of this podcast a Marxist in a derogatory way. He's a Charlie Kirk enthusiast and our sound editor, Andrew Nagy. Thank you. And any of that true? Any hint of truth in any of that? I am not going to confirm nor deny any of that. But I prefer Ben Shapiro. 
It wouldn't, wouldn't be good for the brand. Um, <laughs> and the only form of socialism he's familiar with is the communion party at the local gay steam house. He's our pop culture expert and failed state, Kirk Wilson. I've never been to a bathhouse, actually, which I'm kind of embarrassed by. Okay, but like you're familiar with like the communion, right? Um, I'm guessing the way you just said that. Sure, ew. <laughs> he it's did like an actual, It's a circuit you party an brand. Boy? I was an altar boy, but we're not getting in that today. God. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the communion is like a brand of cert- oh. gay circuit parties, and oh. they advertise like all over the place. And I just assume because you are literally just a hole that you had been to one. Is you it are spelled a like C U M, like communion. Yes, communion. Jesus oh. Christ. Stop being a hole. You know. literally were a hole today. That's all you did today was be a hole. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I I I don't know. Like, thank God I didn't wake up like in the middle of the colonoscopy. But when he came in with those photos afterwards and he wanted to show me what he'd taken out, I was like, no, thank you. He put them so, right on Grinder. Yeah. He showed them to Joe. <laughs> no. Joe Joe was my caretaker today. <laughs> Uh, but um, if she got any further radicalized after last week's episode, she'd become a spitting image of a 1970s Angela Davis chasing down a member of the Philadelphia Police Department. She's the only person on this podcast with a skin color that isn't chalk white. She's Erica Ellis. That was the nicest thing you've ever said about me. Oh, good. Anyway, we are going to get into our episode after a quick break. When we come back, you guys will get to meet Casey and we will talk communism, socialism, and Kirk's love for capitalism. I just. <laughs> All right. And we are back. Um, Casey, super excited to have you on the podcast. Um, Andrew, I know you're going to lead this segment as Casey is one of your white brethren who it sounds like you guys have been friends with for a very long time, maybe in some secret clubs together that you might want to share or disclose at some point with members of this podcast. But um, I'll turn it over to you to own the main segment of our episode. Yeah, we are talking about left-wing politics today. For a very long time, socialism and communism have been dirty words in this country. Movements like Occupy Wall Street and the BLM protests of 2020 along with new school politicians like AOC, have brought a renewed awareness of left-wing schools of political thought. Yet, even in supposedly left-leaning news, this country has a deep, unwavering fear of anything truly left-wing. Downplayed at best, or usually hurled by conservatives of every stripe as a pejorative, leftism has no real foothold in America. Indeed, for many, communism is synonymous with being anti-American And we all know that nothing is worse than any criticism of this country. Mm. Growing up, we took it for granted that the Soviet Union and all it stood for, and every other state like that, Cuba, China, many others, was the ultimate antithesis of the United States, the greatest country on earth with the most ideal political system. The capitalism that underpins our world goes unquestioned. Any systemic problems that arise from our system, and there are many, can be explained away as not enough capitalism, too much regulation, the system being choked by liberals who only want the votes of the lazy masses. But what is the left wing? We only ever hear criticisms and put-downs. The truth is stretched beyond breaking and context completely obliterated when Trump can go on TV and call Joe Biden a radical leftist. 
the truth is there is no left wing in America. Not really. Our liberals are conservatives that just want everyone to be happy little cogs in the capitalist machine. So let's talk to a real leftist about leftism. The typical stereotype of a lefty in America is a skinny freshman kid with weirdly colored hair who bought the Communist Manifesto to feel smart. People who want to move our country more to the left are seen as shrill, emasculated, lazy, and entitled. But Casey, who is a long-term friend of mine, is anything but those things. We grew up in a homeschooled evangelical Christian community together. I've known Casey for, God, more than two decades at this point. And contrary to the stereotypes, Casey is a family man with two young boys and has worked in factories and warehouses for as long as I can remember. Out of most of the friends that I know, he's probably one of the most hardworking people. So Casey, welcome to the podcast. We obviously can barely scratch the surface of what left-wing politics is tonight, but let's start with you and why you went to the dark side and now hate America. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thanks, Andrew. Um, boy, that's uh, that, that's something to follow up, huh? Yeah, it's kind of a, a kind of an interesting thing. You know, when you first pitched to me coming on the show, I had said, you know, I, I'm happy to do it. I'm not really your typical kind of a leftist person, like you like you had said. Um, I didn't, you know, turn to Marxism in college and join a commune and take a trip to Bangkok or anything like that. So, uh, you know, in fact, if anything, I started out in college ever so slightly on the right wing side of things. Um, I kind of took a little bit of pride in being uh, what I think we would call today a centrist. I was kind of happy to say, hey, you know what? There's kind of the plus and minuses. I almost said good people on both sides. And man, <laughs> that statement get ruined a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> But but that is what you're saying, Casey, like that. But when, when people say that they're centrist now, like the, the idea is like I can get along with anybody and, and I can get along with people on both sides. Right. So exactly. No, that's exactly right. Um, and, uh, you know, my kind of personal philosophy is that, you know, it does kind of take all, all kinds of I mean, well, maybe not all kinds, but most kinds, um, you know, there needs to be some some input from everyone. So anyway, um I kind of stayed that way through most of college. Uh, I went to Temple University in Philadelphia, and at the time, I'm not sure how it is now, but the the campus living situation was pretty much non-existent. So you kind of had to live in the community. So all the things I had kind of been raised to believe about the folks in that community and the community they had built was kind of constantly challenged. Insofar as looking and saying, well, I don't know if people here don't necessarily, they don't seem lazy to me. They seem like they don't have anything to, there's no other options. What, look at look at all the job opportunities here that pay so much money. There's nothing. <laughs> it's a wasteland here. Um, you know, there's no money put into the area, no money put into the city. So I started to kind of think more and more like, I don't know, a lot of the things that have kind of kept me center aren't making as much sense anymore. So that was kind of a very slow build. Sorry, before you go further, can I ask you just a question about that? So I think for, for folks who listen to this who might not be familiar, you know, Temple University is one of the, the largest schools in Pennsylvania, I would say. Like, and it's, it, yeah. it sits in North Philadelphia, right? And like in, in North Philadelphia, what, what would you say? The population is probably 80, 90 percent black. 
like at least at least <laughs> right yeah at least right yeah and I, I also went to school in a, in a similar neighborhood so i'm i'm curious too just like before you jump in and get closer to 2016 like did you also have a feeling like when you went to school like oh my gosh i can't be near the neighbors because that's kind of what i was taught is like you stay on your campus with your your college students with your, you know, like safe environment. You don't venture and talk to them. Right. Like, which was also a predominantly black neighborhood where, where I went to school and where Erica went to school too. In Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I went to Temple. It's cold. Just, I'm not here. <laughs> Wait, Casey, when did you, what year were you at Temple? I don't think you said. No, you're right. I didn't. Uh, it was 2010. To 2012. I had gone to a community college beforehand. Okay. So I had all that, transfer i was kind yeah, of a weird college not student. that far off than when we were i mean we were in school from paul and myself we're in school from 2011 to 2014 2010 to 2020 to 2014 yeah so i can agree with what you're saying in terms of how the neighborhood was and i've tr- been back in only seven years and it's wildly different mm-hmm. um, but yeah yeah no it's it's you know a lot of the a lot of the neighborhood was kind of bought up and bulldozed and rebuilt in the image of you know uh, happy rich white college students um (laughs) so there was definitely a lot of stereotypes to kind of overcome a lot you know i wouldn't think of the way that i was raised or myself at the time as like uh, i don't know if bigots too strong of a word probably not i you know i would say oh well you know people deserve you know, happiness and goodness and so on and so forth. And yet at the same time, I'd say, well, you know, if only they weren't so lazy, if only they weren't causing all these problems for themselves. And I kind of had to look at myself after a while and be like, what, what am I like? I'm talking about other people, other human beings. They're no longer the people on the news. You know, they're no longer the theoretical ping pong ball between political parties. Now it's, it's folks that like literally live next door to me. Um, and like you would expect anywhere else, you had all kinds, you had people that sure you didn't really want to talk to a whole lot. Um, and you had people that were great and very, very real, more real than people that I had grown up knowing in a lot of cases, you know, folks that knew them, knew themselves and knew what they were about, which is not something that I was familiar with myself, (laughs) um, you know, especially as a college student trying to kind of find my way. So. Yeah, it's kind of a whole, it was only really like a two-year period, like I said, but it was a lot of learning, a lot of uh, kind of retooling of how I thought about people around me. And then that started to kind of expand into other people groups. If you remember, probably 2013, 2014, there was a lot of um, like Muslim extremism in the news, you know, attacks in Europe and so on and so forth. And I found myself kind of reckoning with that in the same way with people that I hadn't met and saying, Hey, you know what? Let me think about this from a human perspective from these are people, you know, anyway. So yeah, kind of marched along the, the centrist path a little bit was kind of happy with that figured this is, you know, (laughs) kind of a good spot to be in. Yeah. Then 2016 rolled around and uh, Donald Trump won the election. And I was surprised how much it affected me. I remember this really solid pit in my stomach. I'm not someone who has trouble sleeping. Thank God. I'm, it's never been an issue of mine. And I had trouble sleeping that night. I was <laughs> very concerned. The, the rhetoric that I had heard from him in that year leading up to was scary. 
things that, you know, as kind of a amateur student of history, I had heard before and not in any good context. So as he took office and, you know, the executive orders started to come out, the, uh, the policy started to roll out. Uh, and, it, you know, you guys remember that really only intensified as time went on. The longer he was in office, the more intense those things got. Uh, I started to look around and kind of say, I don't know, trying to play the middle here doesn't say there is no middle. The all the footing that I thought that I had was kind of gone. And the voice that the voices that started to make sense for me were the voices that said that, hey, equality is is paramount to treat everyone that, you know, doesn't look chalky white like me as other as those people is wrong. I didn't have (laughs) there wasn't any question left in my mind. It was wrong. And the people that really were happy to stand up and say that and say that, um, you know, the the billionaires that just continue to rake in the money and have continued since then uh, to break their records, their own records year after year after year. It's like it's like a rigged baseball game while the rest of us kind of, you know, hey, you got your two percent raise. I, I hope you're happy because it really took a chunk out of our company. Um, you know, no, you really should be grateful. Don't you understand? The only people that were, that I was hearing standing up and really saying these things are wrong and we have a better way were the socialists, <laughs> which was kind of a surprise to me. It's not something I ever thought that I would really buy into too much. And I, I really identified with the workers rights, you know, like, like Andrew said, I've been a factory worker and a, uh, warehouse worker pretty much my entire career. So those things really kind of resonated with me. You know, the, the more you look into unions, the more you look into, uh, workers rights, workers councils, the more that you hear things like, uh, you know, your boss needs you, you don't need your boss. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a hundred percent accurate. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that's kind of brought me to where, you know, where I am today, kind of keeping an eye on, on those things around the country and, and, trying to educate myself as much as possible as time goes on. It's a, it's a journey and it's a long process actually. Yeah. I can appreciate that. Um, I think I have had a similar arc in that I, I I don't think I was somebody who really thought too much about politics at all um, before 2016. And um, I think my point of pride was saying, Oh, I'm not political. And you still hear people say that, oh, I'm not political. And I think now I'm somebody who says, well, everything is political because it has to be, because it's made political, because every decision we make, everything we do in this country feeds into being political, good or bad. I just didn't think about it. And part of that is just my privilege of my upbringing, of of my skin color, um, a lot of different types of privilege. It just allows me to go through life and not have to think about it too much because why would I have to? There's no friction like other types of people experience in the world. So, you know, when 2016 happened and Donald Trump happened, you know, in the lead up to that in 2015, you see it as a big joke and you think, oh, there's no way he's going to win. I mean, it's this big stupid thing. And then he wins and you're like, oh shit, like this, this actually happened. And what does that mean? And 
you know, I, I took it for granted growing up that anything that was communism or, or socialism or left wing is is bad. And it's like, oh, well, you know, the charitable reading is there's some good ideas there and it's it's nice, but it's a utopia. We're never going to reach a utopia. And obviously it didn't work in the Soviet Union or in other countries. And we only ever hear criticisms. And, you know, we certainly don't hear about how the the US intelligence apparatus and the US government and other western countries have spent billions of dollars and untold effort making sure that those other countries didn't do very well and we've deposed uh leaders and set up our own governments there or governments that are friendly to us but i think we can talk a little bit about like what what is socialism? Because I, it, you know, we hear that word almost every single day on the news, or communism, or or leftism, or some variation of all those terms, and they're all related, but there are some differences and nuance there. But we only ever hear them divorced in any context and just thrown around as as a political ping pong, as you were saying, or as as insults, really. But not with any explanation. So can you talk a little bit about, at least to you, what socialism means? One of the major things that I learned kind of as I started to look into socialism was just how bad my own education was. And I had initially thought kind of like to your point, Andrew, that that was kind of a Christian conservative thing. You know, you kind of grew, grew up worshiping Reagan type of situation and that that, you know, obviously communism, socialism is the antithesis of that. That's true, but that's not just the case. Um, you are going to get a more accurate picture of what fascism is and what fascism looks like in school than you will of communism um, or socialism at large. Uh, I think the ideas of fascism in some ways are a little bit simpler. That might be the reason why. Whenever you have communism, socialism, they're used interchangeably. They're really not. Technically, one precedes the other. You know, you have a you have a socialist state, which the idea is eventually moves into a communist state. So anyway, what it kind of means to me, a big tenant of socialism is equal share among people that, that do the work, people that do the labor. Uh, for instance, I, I work for a a major pharmaceutical company and I work in a, in a, their supply chain warehousing division. Just recently they announced uh, real big raises in the middle of the year for everybody, for all the, the floor workers. And that was uh, kind of unprecedented. And they said it was going to be a lot of money and it, it was, it was good. Uh, I remember the district manager came out to tell us, you know, we all kind of had to nod and clap just about. It was it was almost enforced. Um, you know, this is a really great thing we're doing for you guys. I want you guys to really understand, you know, we we budgeted an extra $700,000 for, you know, for this to go through for three different sites full of people. And I, I remember kind of thinking $700,000 is a lot of money, but I, I can look around this warehouse and point out individual uh, things that will come up to $700,000 plus by themselves. And we do many, many, many of those a day in orders. <laughs> right. um, and I thought that's kind of a, hmm, that's kind of, and that's, and that's 700,000 for three sites, probably 150 people in total. So, you know, again, making more money is good, but I kind of explained it to a couple of my coworkers this way. Hey, what if uh, what we had was we had people that have never done our job saying to us, 
Well, we all sat down and we talked and we decided you're worth exactly this much. And I said, what if the reverse was true? What if we all sat down and we looked at our boss and we said, you know, we see you doing a lot of standing around. I mean, a lot. So uh, we don't think you're worth nearly what you're making. You know, it's kind of a, to them, this is completely normal. Oh, well, you know, why wouldn't you take it from us? How much money you should be making. But you try to think of it from the reverse and it you know, makes a little less sense. But that feeling like what you're describing, I imagine as people heard you say that as they listened to this, they mm-hmm. felt uncomfortable because I felt yeah. uncomfortable because we are not trained to protest in that way. We are not trained to, to fight in that way, to even suggest that we should have any say on how the company is run because what we've always been told, the people at the top decide, we will contribute our part. Maybe someday we will make it to the top or we'll get to a point where we feel like we want to stop or we will change and go to another company that's going to pay us a little bit more. At no point has have we thought um, that that was maybe an attainable future for us where we could come together and say, no, this is what we want. And you know what? We control this because we're the ones making this thing happen. Like that's empowering in a lot of ways. It's also terrifying because that's, it's not even how school was structured. You know, for me, I went to Catholic school. God forbid you say literally, uh, like, (laughs) like, like at no point could you say something back to, you know, one of the nuns or one of the sisters or say like, Hey, what if we did the class this way? What if we tried it this way? You know, that wasn't ever something I had the opportunity to create really in almost all 16 years of my education. That's interesting. Yeah. And to your point, Casey, about the product that you're, you're shipping and you're moving costing way, way more than the, the money that they set aside to pay more wages to everybody, that $700,000 was probably one person's mm-hmm. bonus that year too. It was less than one person's bonus. There's a couple of people that have to report that sort of thing. So yeah, it was quite a bit less actually. (laughs) Yeah. And we're always told that those people at the top of the company earned their way there through hard work and their own determination and their, their exceptionalism and their individualism, all these terms that we think of as, as just the ultimate expression of being an American, and, and they earned their way to the top, and now they deserve that money. And what they do is so important to the fabric of that company and keeping the work going and the money coming in. It's, it's so important that they deserve... 3,500 times what you make on the shop floor, actually shipping the product out the door. And, you know, how, how can you look at those two people and say that one person is working 3,500 times more than the other person? And, you know, especially when you're talking about like the people who make the least in this country are the people that work the hardest physically. And, yes. you know, if, if all it was was hard work, then everybody in a sweatshop in India would be the richest people on the planet right now. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Um, that actually kind of brings up an interesting point I wanted to make sure I, I made that whenever you talk about socialism in America, one of the big things I, I know you all have heard it is socialism is equated with those lazy kids that don't want to work for a living. Um, that's always the first go-to answer. It's either your communism, are you crazy? Or it's 
well, I don't really know what communism is. I don't really know what socialism is. I just know it's for those lazy people. They don't want to work. They just want everything for free from the mm-hmm. government. And you, you're the hard worker. So if you're in a socialist <laughs> state, you'll be mad at those people for not working yeah. as hard as you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's, you know, so you have to work for a living. Now, look at all these people that just suck off the government welfare tit. This is all the things that are directed to each of us so that we're all fighting each other and we're not kind of looking together and being like, hold on a second. One of my personal kind of beliefs about the way that socialism works is that it's about personal responsibility and, you know, hard work. That's a big part of it. Uh, You know, if we're talking about a factory or warehouse where, you know, there's hundred people working and we say, Hey, you know what? We 100 are the ones that do 95% of the work. So we should run 95% of this business. That's a lot of responsibility and it's way more than what we're getting paid for right now. So if we were able to flip that on its head where we say, okay, you know what? We're going to divvy this up, this 95% between us hundred people. It's probably more work and more responsibility than we're, than we're dealing with now, but it's, it's going to engage people. It's going to engage them. It's going to get them interested in their work. Um, you know, right now, one of the really unfortunate parts about a warehouse job is it's kind of brainless. Uh, and I work with a number of people who have just completely not even fallen into that hole, dove off the cliff straight into it where, you know, they're just kind of automatons at this point. There's not really a whole lot of like free thought going on to try and talk to them about something like this. They don't they don't really get it. And that's a product of of the capitalist way of, you know, get in line, be a cog, fit where you fit, and run until you wear out. And, but, but work hard at the same time. You have to work hard. Absolutely. You're lazy. And this is your punishment. You know, whatever. You've all, we've all heard all these things. And it's wild because the personal responsibility and the hard work that we could be putting into something together is instead – put into something that we work for somebody else to make money for them. It's kind of a, it's kind of a wild concept. It's, you know, there's a lot of, it's not really a wild concept, but it is in this country. It isn't according to our training. Paul, you you brought up education. I mean, everything is set up from the beginning to put us on the path of, you know, consumerism, materialism, Look, I was raised on Star Trek as a kid. I, I, you know, one of my favorite things about that is the concept of humanity getting past the need to accumulate uh, material wealth. So many things that we do during our day are in, involve trying to accumulate material wealth one way or the other, whether it's just to accumulate material, whether it's to keep the lights on and the heat on in our house. Either way, everything is about the rat race. What if it was about, hey, what can I contribute to humanity? Maybe it's not that lofty. It's, hey, what can I contribute to something that improves my mental health? Maybe I'm a better writer than I am forklift driver. Maybe I'm a better artist than I am, you know, desk sitter. <laughs> Maybe I'm, you know, better at these things. Maybe these things, in addition to, you know, creating beauty and creating things around us like that, are better for our, our mental health. What's, what, what, is the mental health crisis number in this country right now? You know, every show of hands, everybody says, I got something. I was going to say, it's a hundred, a hundred percent of you, if this podcast <laughs> were a sample size. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and I, and I bet if this, if this podcast was a hundred people, it probably would be just about a hundred. Um, be, and, and where does that come from? 
that comes from running the race, running the rat race, chasing our tails over and over every day. You know, each one of us works a job where maybe we like it, maybe we don't. But I would say most of the people, if you go to them and you say, what would you really, first thing that comes to your mind, what do you really want to do? If you, if you could do anything, everybody has an answer. Well, I don't want to do this. I'd rather X, Y, and Z. And instead, we're locked into this cycle of chase, 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 get, 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 and feed it all back out and have to chase some more. And, you know, imagine if that was different. Imagine if we worked together collectively. Imagine if we worked together for the benefit of each other and the benefit of uh, really of the human race. It's lofty. It sounds ridiculous. But it sounds ridiculous because we're taught that it's ridiculous, not because it is ridiculous. It can be so much better. I have two kids. That's a big part of what motivates me. I have two children. I don't want them to grow up with the same kind of struggles that I grew up with. And and look, I'm sitting in a heated house right now. I'm relatively comfortable. Uh, you know, I, I'm I, the lights are on. Everything's fine. But it could be better. It could be better, and I want it to be better for them. I want them to see, you know, this bright future. Oh, not not be mired in anxiety and depression like the rest of us. So I'm sorry, I probably went no. way off topic with that, but that's that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> no, I, I think that's exactly the topic that we're, we're we're talking about is that, you know, one thing that we're always taught, there's this huge self-help and motivational industry in this country and you're feeling bad, well, you just need to change your outlook. You need to change your mindset. All you need to do is buy this book on Amazon for $17.95 <laughs> and, you know, read it cover to cover and it'll change your life. And that doesn't work. Then there's the next book and the next one or this YouTube series or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to, you know, you're we're always told that we're basically all just currently disadvantaged millionaires and we'll get there. All we have to do is work a little harder, um, put in a few more hours, do that side hustle, whatever it is. We just have to sleep less and, and work more and we'll get there. Uh, just like those other people that are at the top of the pyramid. The one thing that always bothers me that we hear all the time is everyone has the same 24 hours. That's just not true. We get up in the morning and we have to go to work. And then we work eight to 10, maybe some of us 12 or more hours a day. And then you come home and you have to maintain your living space, your house, your apartment, whatever it is. If you have a family, then you have to attend your family, kids. And end of the night, you have 30 minutes to sit down and watch some mindless TV and go to bed and wake up in six hours and do it all over again. There is no time, I think, by design to sit down and think about any of the things that you're talking about. And the stereotype that it's something that young people, they read about Marx or something like that. And, and that's a phase you go through when you're young in college, um, when you're in your 20s. And then as you get older, you grow out of that phase. And I think that's by design because you have more time in college. You have some time to sit and think. And, and then when you get into the workforce, you don't really have that time because what's lionized in this country is just endless work to the point where everybody gets on a call where I work and everybody kind of goes around and says how hard they're working that week and how they have no time. And people send emails at 10 p.m. at night. And you know one thing we've seen, especially with unionization efforts at Amazon, is Amazon structures their entire workday to wring as much time out of their workers as they possibly can 
um, up into and beyond the point where it's legal or even healthy for their workers. And one that helps them to push out more product, but it also burns their workers out. So it's really not a great practice for the company if you were to think about it. But what is good for the company is no one in an Amazon warehouse has has time to say, hey, maybe we should uh, ask for higher wages or breaks so we don't have to literally piss ourselves on the conveyor belt while we're packing up people's shit that they bought. It's so interesting like that you say that because I can relate it back to like a, a couple things in my experiences. When I first started um, at the company I work at now, um, I remember somebody who is probably five years older than me. Um, and she had been there as an intern and then continued, you know, um, and stayed on. They hired her. She's like, great. You know, I don't have to think twice about getting a job. I've already got it. This is like the magic recipe. And I remember her like, you know, she's probably manager level at that time, um, maybe senior manager level or something like that. And I remember her saying to me, it's so nice to have you on our team because the rest of us are so jaded about what's possible. And I was like, what? Like, I, I didn't understand what that meant as a concept. And I have a tendency and a personality, as most people on this podcast uh, and who listen to this podcast know, like, I have a tendency to be too much. Right. But like, I remember coming in and like being like, Oh, like what can, what's our culture? Like what, what can we theme? What, what activities do we do? Like, how do we collaborate with one another? How do we get up beyond our cube walls when we had the high cubes? How do we talk to each other? I was like injecting this energy into a group of people that already just a few years into their career just kind of felt like the job's the job. The job is safe. The job is convenient. It pays well. Okay. I'm just accepting that this is sort of my reality right now. And I remember being like, Oh, I can't ever let myself get like that. And for the most part, I think I've done okay, but where I've failed and where I've taken the opposite, taken the opposite course correction is Andrew to kind of what you were saying is that we're never enough, right? Like, or there's always something more we can be doing. And for me, it's, it's like, okay, you're, you're pursuing your, your career. I've got that, that that's good right now. You're pursuing your passions. That's podcast and a nonprofit I work in. You're pursuing local activism. Those are some causes that I volunteer for. Oh, your social life. Oh, your family life. Oh, your house has to be clean. I'm like, I've of course corrected in such an opposite way because the, what I've been told is that whether directly or indirectly, nothing I do will be enough. I always need right. to keep creating. And even with this podcast, right. it's like, well, how are we making money off of it? It's like, sometimes you don't fucking need to make money off of something, you know? Although I love, <laughs> it would be great. Uh, Martin, if you're listening. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I think I, I have these hours. I spend these hours. I spend these hours because I realize work might not give me happiness. And so I have to find my happiness elsewhere. And that is such a driving motivator for me every single day to the point of, like, like pain and where I burn myself out. But I think that that's a, that's a great point. Cause that's like a generational thing. Like I think like our millennial ish to Gen Z ish brains and, and not, I mean, I think there is a difference between the two, but there's not that wildly much of a difference that like our parents never did that for the, I don't think for the most part generation, like, I think it was just like, you work, work, mm -hmm. work, your job is your life. Even if you're good at it or making a lot of money or not, or if you're exceeding or if you're prom getting promoted and, becoming, you know, senior level executives or whatever you do, being successful, whatever that is, that's what it is. 
And I feel like our generation and the one below us are starting to be like, no, like, yeah, I, I, know, I know the game. We have, you have to make money, right? At least in our, in our society. Like, so, but what are other things we can do, whether mm-hmm. that's going to make us money or not make us money, but the, the possibility of it, I think is what makes people excited. And that's kind of what you're talking about. And I think the first point you made about like, you know, now us being, I mean, me and you for the most part, and I've been working for six, seven years in, in, in a job in corporate America. Like, I think I'm, I'm not saying I'm jaded, but I've gotten to that point right now where I'm like, wait, like, what else could I be right. doing? What else could we be doing? And I think you, when you fall into it, because like, oh, this is a job. I'm getting paid good money. It took me a year to find a job in the first place. I thought I would go to college and walk out the door with one. And like, why? Looking back, I'm like, why did I even like? I'm just told that. Like, I right now would be like, I wish I'd done that completely differently and not like freaked out about getting the first job. But I wish I'd gotten something that I actually want. Which is there's I still do that now, but it's like, you know, some people don't learn that 30, 40 years into their career and they never did it. It takes really special people to break out from the career that they started in. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I think that's a design of the system, right? You're not going to hire somebody who doesn't have your level of experience because you don't care if they're passionate about it, right? Like you, you, you want people with experience because it's safe and they're going to earn money. They're going to make you look good, which is going to make your boss look good, which is going to bring you more money, which is going to make you eventually potentially become that millionaire, as Andrew said, like the millionaire in waiting, <laughs> the millionaire in purgatory. But usually, and it's funny, I think most people that end up there are the people that didn't yeah. sit and wait around they did themselves like they didn't sit and like sit in a job for 40 years and like now i'm a millionaire like it's people that have their own ideas and left and created themselves which is scary for someone to do especially i was i mean this is i don't think we've hit on this yet today but i would love everyone's opinion on this too and yours as well casey around like the one big tie in our country to having a job is benefits mm-hmm. and having health care and like yes. I, what if i want to go do my own thing tomorrow and I, you don't have to quit your job to do it but sometimes you do and it's like well wait a minute like what if I mean, I'm not, I, what if I have a crazy health scare or like, or I go to the doctor a lot right now because I'm dealing with chronic things. Like, how do I deal with that if I don't You're have gay. a job? You're gay. You can't drive. And I'm gay. Yeah. <laughs> I can't give blood. What, no, you, but you can't give blood. You can't drive. What if you get in an accident? <laughs> which is, which happens a lot actually. But <laughs> no, but I think that it's, it's, um, that's, I was having conversations this week with my friends about it. It's just crazy that, that there's this like, uh, like tie. And it's the crazy, money is one thing, but then this benefit of like, living it's this like new idea of cost of living like you literally have to have a job that i could be with a chronic issue sucking at but i have to keep it because like i have to have health care to go to the doctor to deal with the situation that i have to wake up every day to work to go to the doctor it's just, it's, it's it's crazy and that's like a unique experience but still there's part of our, our site that i can log into at work and uh they call it my rewards okay i remember the first yeah. time i saw that i thought uh-oh and i opened it up <laughs> and it has a pie chart okay and on that pie chart it's split about, I don't know, a, more, a little more than half of it is compensation. So that's literally the money they mm-hmm. are by law required to pay me and have decided they're going to that's, – that's compensation, okay? Uh, the other part of it mostly is health care, okay? This is what we're paying – in order for you to have health care, in order for you to have a prescription plan, so on and so forth. And then there's a small part for uh, for retirement. Okay, this is the, the retirement money that you're probably throwing down the drain and won't see at the end of your life anyway. <laughs> but, um, you know, here it is. Um, my rewards. I remember looking at that and the first thing I said, I, I don't remember who was standing next to me, but one of the people I work with, I said, my rewards. I said, this is, this is what I'm entitled to. What do you mean? My rewards. This is the, where's the actual reward reward is something that you get for, for a job well done. That's beyond the basic. This is basic. I don't know. This is what we look at. And then it puts the amounts. This is what we pay you. This is what you, we pay for you for retirement. This is how much we pay for your healthcare. 
look how happy you should be. Here's the total that you cost the company. Mm-hmm. It's not the total I see. I don't see. I don't see half the money that's on there. But this is the this is the money that you cost us. So be be grateful. So do we think? The, here's here's where I am going to have a Joe Rogan devil's advocate moment. Go for it. Like do we? Right. <laughs> like do we think that the CEO is is critically aware, maybe not the CEO. Let's go with the head of benefits in that example. We, Andrew and I have the same thing at work. And my first reaction when I saw it, I was like, damn, I get paid a lot more than I, and then I was like, wait, this could be given to me by the government. <laughs> if I yes. were to live across the border in Canada, this pie chart would not exist. So like, right. I, I recognize the insanity of it, but do, do I think it's a well-intentioned, person in HR and benefits being like, it's really hard to hire people right now. We want to make sure people understand the value that they get by being here. We need to let them know, like, is it like a, is it this desperation of the system like that, you know, or is it just like some innocent HR person was like, this is a great tool to let people know what they get from us being an employer. And is that just as bad? Like that, that's, so I'm not, I'm not, I guess it's not devil's advocate. It's just more like when I think about the thought process as to how those things get built, I can't believe that it's like the CEO being like, ha, 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 like we're going to trap them into this. But somewhere in the system, it's telling people that that is work that needs to be done, that people need to know their rewards for working here. So right now at work, there's this conversation of our standard raise is 2.5%. And that is to quote unquote, adjust for cost of living. As many people may or may not know, inflation is at 6%. And right now we get paid around market rate, but the kind of argument as to why they're not paying us more is we have a competitive benefits package. And while that is fantastic, I think A, that should be you taking care of your employees, right? If I get sick and I don't have the access to the care that I need, I can't come back to work. There is no Erica who comes back to work because, you know, I'm destitute because I got a cough that turned into pneumonia that turned into, you know, a $50,000 medical bill. Um, So I think it is more of a, if they don't do that, the consequences of not providing those benefits is detrimental to the way that the company functions. But I think by and large, when they show you this is how much better you have it, to me, and like, sorry for the comparison, but it's kind of like, that really, really shitty boyfriend who was like, oh, look at all of these guys who are doing all of these worse things. At least you don't have that. And it's like, you're right. You aren't beating me up every night, but you're still cheating on me. Like, it is to say that it could be worse isn't saying that you're getting your best. And I think that unfortunately, you know, the only times that we've seen real change in American history is when it was this clear definition of the poor working class, there really wasn't, especially say, you know, the Gilded Age, right? There really wasn't much of a middle class. It was heavy concentration of wealth. And then you had these people who were working for next to nothing under terrible conditions. And between, you know, you had the Pullman strikes and you had riots and you had people banding together for one common goal. And that's where we received change. And I think, you know, our capitalist overlords kind of learned from it and said, 
whoa, if things are so bad that it's egregious, then people are going to complain. If we show them that things could be worse and it's not egregious, it just kind of sucks, well, at least we can kind of lull them into that complacency. And then on top of that, they said, well, then let's just call poor people dirty and gross and lazy so that everyone's against them and we don't have to worry about it. So I think that even if there is some benevolence behind it, the truth of the matter is pay people more and pay people according to the market, the actual market, not whatever market is, you know, saturated with three to four major companies, pay people what they deserve. And these conversations aren't going to come up as I'm literally getting an email at 10 (laughs) o'clock. Well, I I think too, you have, this is a, I'll I'll make a really quick point because it's a huge conversation. If you look at like the minimum wage, still the federal minimum wage after all this conversation, is still 725 still where it's been uh, most of my life not my entire life but most of it there's a lot of years in there where inflation has kicked value up a lot several times a couple while I've been an adult one that we're in now and yet that minimum wage is still there so what you have is you have a situation where we haven't taken care of the things that Everyone really knew you were going to have to get to eventually. You can't pay somebody minimum wage. They literally, they would have to work six minimum wage jobs to have enough money to get by at this point. So now when you work, quote, minimum wage, you have to jack up that minimum wage to a much, much higher number to double, more than double, actually, when they're calling for $15 an hour. Well, then all the rest of us who maybe are making 20 to 25 who were like, well, hold on. I used to be making way more than minimum wage. I've worked 15 years to get to this point, whatever, 20 years, 10 years, whatever. I've worked a a long, hard time to get here. Now there's somebody just doubled the amount of money they make. Well, what about me? I don't want to be making five, six, seven bucks more than minimum minimum wage. I should be way ahead of that. So now there's this huge (laughs) like jam effect that keeps going up the chain and then you have you know as that piece of the pie gets bigger i think i don't think the mentality really changes you have somebody who says well i was making 25 million but you know if somebody else who was making a hundred thousand is making two hundred thousand now well pff, i should be making 50 million i don't understand you know so <laughs> you have a lot of uh you know you have this big log jam that's kind of kind of been created and we're paying for that now and it really shouldn't be a surprise well, if CEOs weren't paid like 350 times more than the average worker, we wouldn't have this issue. <laughs> because Is that, that much- all? <laughs> Socialist? I'm just saying, not saying the CEOs shouldn't get paid a shit ton of money. They should, whatever. But it's like the the staggering, even even from like a a VP level, or I mean, in my company, I'm thinking even like an SVP level compared, which is only like two or three technically positions below a C-suite, like makes significantly less than a CEO. Like, I mean, they still make really good money. They're making like half a million dollars or $400,000 or whatever, but- the CEO is making like 12 to 13 million. Like it's wild, this discrepancy even between that level. It's frustrating. And again, for what added value are they bringing to the company that is is worth that kind of money? To kind of wrap it all up, the whole point of the conversation is we, we like to think that our system that we have in America is the best system, the most ideal system. Maybe there's some 
you know, cons to it right now, but we could fix those basically with more of the same things. We like to think that we have like the ultimate expression of democracy. And 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 that's one of the things that is the criticism against any left-wing politics. Well, it's necessarily a dictatorship. It's necessarily authoritarian. It's a failed state that the CIA is fucking around in. Like that's what we think of when really it's a better form of democracy in that instead of showing up to this job and you're told, well, you're stupid, you don't have good ideas, basically, like you just need to be there to work and be a warm body to pack boxes or send emails or write ad copy, whatever it is, wherever you are, and it shouldn't be a blue collar versus white collar thing. It's it's whatever you're doing, you know, we're told that you know, we're just supposed to do that job and we don't have any say in the overall direction. You know, the people in Congress can vote themselves a new salary whenever they feel like it. And workers in a capitalist society are told that, you know, we have to have these people who are better than us that are making $25 million a year tell us what we're worth for the work that we're doing. Casey, you made that point way at the beginning of our of our conversation. And what would happen if you turn around and said, oh, well, we all collectively decided that the uh, CEO is only supposed to make this amount of money because that's how much we feel like you're worth to the company. Like if the tables were turned, how would we think about it? And that's the whole point, I think, of all of this is that it's, it's not about, you know, I, I'm sure if you turn on Fox News, you'll hear that socialism is about obliterating individuality as a person and all you are is supposed to be a meaningless cog we're a meaningless cog right now and it's about having the freedom and the choice to to do what you want if you want to do something else you don't have to stay in a job that you hate and beats you down just because it has good health care benefits because you need good health care benefits or somebody in your family needs it or you know like in this country like even if you're perfectly healthy if you get in a car accident that medical bill could ruin you for the rest of your life even if you have insurance it's about having those freedoms and choice so I think that's a good spot to end it for now. I think we could all talk about this for the rest of the night, literally. And it is an enormous topic, and there's so much to it. I mean, just going to the Socialism Wikipedia page, like it is just a massive wall of text. There's so much to it, and there's so much unpacking of the history of it in just this country alone and McCarthyism and the Cold War and thinking about just our attitudes about work in this country. Maybe we'll have more of these conversations in the future where, where we talk a little bit more about uh, left-wing politics and, and left versus liberal versus neoliberal, what we're told is the left, but really isn't. Um, and we can dig into that more. Now we'll take a break and we'll come back with Pack It Up. All right, everybody, welcome back to our final and favorite segment of the episode. This is Pack It Up, where we highlight a person, organization, or something in pop culture that needs to pipe it down and pack it up. Um, Casey, as the guest and the first guest to ever do a pack it up, you will go first. Awesome. Um, I had a couple just during this week, but there's one that uh, I guess kind of ties into what we were talking about that I wanted to highlight. There is a hospital 
in Wisconsin. Jesus Lord. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, is called ThetaCare. ThetaCare Hospital. Uh, they are in a little bit of a crisis right now. What happened was their cardiology and radiology department, uh, which is apparently seven, eight, nine people. Uh, one of the folks from that department got a job with a, another hospital called Ascension. And it was paying way better, was giving them much better work-life balance, and had a lot of open spots. So all of these people applied at Ascension. The whole department, 100% applied and got jobs with Ascension. So they let ThetaCare know uh, weeks and weeks in advance. ThetaCare did nothing, made no counter offers, didn't say a word. Few days before they were to start work for Ascension, ThetaCare suddenly files an injunction with a court to lock these people into their jobs at ThetaCare in the hospital and not be able to leave to go to Ascension. Wisconsin, as it turns out, is an at-will state. So they, they essentially violate the rights of all these people. Judge Mark McGinnis, who I would love to make famous, said, you know what? You're absolutely right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and temporarily halt them. They can't leave. Uh, they'll be in violation of the law if they leave the, uh, the job. Thankfully, due to that uproar uh, – and due to the convincing arguments from Ascension, who said that they did not going into ThetaCare, bringing these employees out. They came willingly. We didn't conscript. They just showed up. Uh, the judge turned it around and said, okay, all right, they're allowed to go. Uh, meanwhile, ThetaCare's lawyers said, quote, we will not have adequate staffing to treat trauma and stroke victims, some of whom will die as a result. That is amazing. And those people need to get the fuck out of here because this is what happens when you don't treat your workers right. They leave. And, uh, you know, when you play chicken with the people that do the job, the chicken bites you in the ass. <laughs> I just, it's so incredible that, like, we were talking about, like, sort of that hidden, almost slavery of, yeah. of, not wanting to leave your job because of healthcare. And then here are people that actually do try to leave their job. And, and you know, the company's like, like, wait, no, no, don't, don't do that. Like we're always told like, Oh, well, if you're unhappy, just get a better job. And it's like, wait, no, not like that. You're right. Right. And literally going to the government to lock you into your position in an at will state. I didn't even know that was possible. It probably <laughs> isn't. And yet it happened anyway. So that's me. Honestly, Pack it up. Seriously. Uh, Andrew, you're up. Friend of the podcast and my She's dear friend, cool. Tucker Carlson. I don't know if you guys know this, but old Tuck Tuck is a no. horny boy. Are we going here? Are we going here? Yes. He, Can I leave? Yeah. Yeah, we're going here. You know, in, in America, corporations, they love to do like these little meaningless gestures to kind of like get a nice news headline and say they're trying to be woke or progressive or whatever. So Eminem kind of changed up the footwear on their little mascots that no one cares about. I mean, does anybody know anything about the Eminem mascots other than the, the red one and the what? yellow one? Yes. Like, Are you kidding? Are you? The green is an icon. The orange has anxiety. He's also an icon. <laughs> I didn't even know there was an orange one until okay, this whole story Okay, no one story in this podcast broke. can literally pronounce the word orange, and it's disturbing. He's, okay, he's literally the peanut-filled one. Anyway, 
they're no, not they're not. The, no, the that's yellow not one true. is the peanut filled one. Just because you want to put your peanut in it doesn't mean it's peanut filled. <laughs> oh my god! So that's what we're talking about. Tucker Carlson wants to fuck the M and M's. A hundred percent, he wants to fuck the M and M's. So they did this instead of having boots on the green M M&M, and M. They they gave her like chucks or something and then there's a brown m&m that had high heels and they like made it into a blockier heel and <laughs> he said hey i have transitioned from high stilettos to lower block heels making it less sexy that's progress he said sarcastically m&ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous until the moment you wouldn't want to have a drink with any of them that's the goal. When you're totally turned off, we've achieved equity. We've won. This man said this on fucking national TV on one of the most watched TV shows in America. He is so fucking horny. I don't understand. Like, how many terabytes of oh cartoon God. porn does this man have on his oh computer? Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, but like, hold on. Before you, like, one thing I find funny about that is, first of all, I think the whole Eminem thing is stupid. I think, I don't know why they did it. I think they did it for this exact reason. I don't, like... I get they're making them. I just think they could do a better job at it. It's like you know what I mean. I like they, just, they could have done it and just not announced it. They could have just, or they, or they could have made it bigger and done something a little bit. That's nothing really changed. Like nothing really changed. So that's why I think people are freaking out about it. But I have to laugh at conservatives saying that they're mad now that they're not sexy, but sexy. If they, if they were, I don't want to say that this candy was sexy, but they they freak out if anything is sexual. You know what I mean? Like it's something like in reality, you'd say something conservative would be taking something sexual and then bringing down the sexuality, which is what Eminem did. They made a they took a conservative approach, if you were to argue. But I guess because the reasoning they're giving is this one has anxiety, they're more non-binary. I don't know if they said that, but that's been the kind of the messaging that's been around them. Um, the, the, I believe the, the correct phrase is they de-yassified the green Eminem. De-yassified. <laughs> I honestly mini pack it up to Gen Z just for that, but <laughs> no, honestly pack it up to Eminem and Mars because I think it was stupid. But that's just I don't know. I my personal theory is that there was some marketing executive somewhere that saw what happened with Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben Rice and were like, "Hey, you know what? We're going to get some free advertising now." Yeah, well, they did. Smart. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what what happens. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I just like at. at First look, you see like the photo of all six or seven M&Ms and it's like nothing looks different at first. So you're kind of just like, what? That, that's why I was like, this is so stupid. It kind of was like the Mr. Potato Head thing. Like it was like at, at its core, really nothing that much, not much changed, but it caused an uproar yeah. amongst fucker Carlson. So yeah, well, spare a thought for no. Tucker Carlson. Uh, no. Oh my God, pain. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> because I was talking about deacidification, um, I'll go next. Um, my packet up is to a particular group of gays that need to be deacidified. Um, it's white gays with insecurities. Let me preface this by saying I'm I am one, but not in this way. So, so. I was like, isn't that like the basis of this oh podcast? <laughs> so, so I, let me let me say this a little bit better. It's um, white gays 
with insecurities like straight men. So let me set the scene for you. Um, I am at this party. Our friend Esteban is leaving um, Columbus and Hi. I sit next to this guy and I know it's like so sad. Like he's just so nice. He's moving to Texas because he hates the cold. Um, and um, I sit down next to this guy. We're introducing uh, you know, ourselves to one another. We're chatting. He's talking to me about this master's program that he's in. It sounds really interesting. I'm like, how did you arrive at like this in your career? We we fully have a conversation for 30 minutes. He was drinking. I was not, but like, it didn't appear that it was like not a real conversation. Right. It was like the beginning of the party. We were at the pregame. There wasn't even really music playing. The lights were fully turned up. Like this is not drunk talking with someone at a bar. He mentioned one of my friends and matching with one of my friends on Tinder. And I know this friend very well, a friend of the pod, Joe. Um, and he said he matched with this guy on Tinder. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, he's so nice. You should totally, like, meet up with him. Uh, we're actually really good friends. I could introduce you if you want. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, that sounds awesome. And then we, like, chatted about Joe for another, like, minute or so, right? Then we moved back to the conversation. Flash forward to uh, three hours later at the bar, I see Joe and I see this other guy. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Joe. Like, you should go and say hi. And then so Joe can't hear. He said, what are you talking about? And I was like, what? I was like, you know, like we were talking earlier. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I that. uh, Yeah, that's Joe over there. Right. And I was like, yeah, like, remember, we're talking about how he's like super nice. And he's like. I don't even remember meeting you earlier. And I like, it was just like this like bitchy way to tell me that I'm not shit. And he doesn't want to look stupid in front of this guy who like he wants to hook up with, but like, doesn't want like to know that he was talking about him earlier. One, Joe and I know each other very well. It was not a weird situation at all for me to create. And two, just like shut the fuck up and don't be rude to me when I like was trying to actively get to know you. And so I feel it's just this level of insecurity that is so different than other like genuine forms of insecurity. It's, it's so traditionally heteronormative and masculine, that feeling of like, you're going to make me look stupid in front of my girl. Like that was me being straight, but I just, I don't, I just, I, I just like have no, concept for rudeness i have no tolerance for rudeness and certainly when i was like spending time getting to know him and his uh, education degree and why he was living in columbus like i was like wow this guy could really be an interesting friend and then as i thought back about it that man never once asked me a question about myself or what i did or why i live here so i just pack it up to myself for like thinking like not recognizing that in the beginning but also like pack it up to this guy for just like being so insecure that you would be rude to someone who was like actively trying to be nice to you. And everyone is telling me to stop being so dramatic, but I'm not going to because uh, I am notoriously mean to gay men until uh, 15 years later when they join a podcast with me. (laughs) Checking in. (laughs) Uh, Who wants to go next? That guy was actually me on Saturday. (laughs) I was wearing male drag. (laughs) (laughs) um i can go because you know what now that i my original packet up was gonna be robert f kennedy jr because he did some crazy shit i'm gonna do it real quick long story short he spoke at an an anti-vax rally with um the iconic joe rogan and he basically compared um 
our current state of the world, having to wear masks and having to have all these mandates and precautions to Nazi Germany and Anne Frank living in her hiding in her closet. And at least they had the ability to um, escape via the Swiss Alps and yada, 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 yada. So he, did that. he, he backtracked it, but he, that's, that was my original Pack It Up. So Pack It Up RFK um, Jr., I guess. I didn't really know. Who, apparently he's been an anti-vaxxer, like the head of the anti-vax movement for a while. I wasn't aware of this. Um, it just I didn't show, know that goes either. To, yeah. yeah, apparently it goes to show that every um, family has a dipshit and the Kennedys are not immune to that. They were like low-key all dipshits. I guess you're right. But like in theory, people love JFK. And Please whatever. don't talk about uh, Jackie like that. Natalie Portman did her amazing. Was she the throat goat? The throat goat? Oh no, that's Reagan. Uh, <laughs> that was Nancy Reagan. Um, okay, well, now that I did that quickly, I do want to say because mine is going to piggyback off of or bareback off of Paul's uh, <laughs> statements about white gay men. I was um, noticeably absent last week, and I had to pack it up ready, and I'm going to use it right now because it kind of evolved this weekend. But I want to pack it up to. I usually I think it is again white gay men, not including myself, that. Um, <laughs> that have such a huge ego and also same time are super insecure that they gaslight, love bomb, and use um, self-sabotage as a way to get out of talking or dating or being interested into somebody. So I, I think it kind of goes into what Paul was saying around the fact he was talking to this guy. Obviously, he wasn't saying he was interested in you romantically, but then he had this whole conversation with you. And then within three hours, he completely ripped that out of your hands almost. He was like, I don't fucking know who you are. So they're going to larger scale that happens in a dating sense a lot with um, in the gay community, and Erica probably knows too. In, in the straight community, um, if a straight male is dating a woman, maybe Andrew does this, but he's been dating um, Cassie for thirty-seven years. His um, roommate. I just think we need to stop allowing men to continue to gaslight and lo- love bomb. I guess for those who don't know what love bombing is, would be when you go into a dating situation, and this can vary on the scale, but going into a dating situation and showing the person a lot of affection, whether that be physical affection, just showing a lot of interest, like off the bat, like whether it's like getting them gifts, which did not happen in this situation, but, or they're showing a lot of affection from PDA or they're showing just like th- those kinds of things that are over the top, making you think they're interested. And then one day it just is like the complete opposite on a flip of a switch and they make you try to feel like you're the one that's crazy for feeling that they were interested from thinking that they were interested in you and now it makes you look like you were the one interested in them when in fact you might not have been as much as that you thought they were. So I think we need to continue to pack up white, gay, insecure men because that's who does that. What was his name? I don't know. Actually, I, there was two ways of pronouncing it. So neither. <laughs> uh, but he used self-sabotage. Hopefully he'll never listen to this. I don't know if you know if he gets Wi-Fi at his apartment, but... Uh, <laughs> Listen, he will with the new Biden infrastructure package. Uh, (laughs) Erica, you're up. You're our final packet up of the week. Continuing along the pathway of using fully personal and specific experiences to develop our packet up, I would like to pack up people who like to just kind of sit on the sidelines and be neutral, as they like to call it. Neutrality is as harmful as anything done of malice. If you are watching bad things happen and you care about one of those things, the bad thing is happening too, and you do nothing, then you don't care about that thing. And I think that I have, for some reason, lost a lot of followers recently, um, which is super interesting because I'm not Paul. Like, I shouldn't see shifts in my Instagram numbers, but for some reason, um, a lot of people have decided to unfollow me, which is 
So it's a little bit of a personal connection that I used to have with these people. Have I gotten into political debates with them online every now and then? Possibly. Um, But that's to say that um, it's because I posted something about accountability. And there's a specific person who, again, I went to school with. And he basically said, well, you know, we're not the ones who are pulling. I think he said something to the effect of like, we're not, pull, we're not the ones, you know, um, killing black people in the streets. And it's like, yes, you are correct. You are not the one. But uh, when you sit around and do nothing, you are eating the ones. Um, the state of Texas actually says that if you see a crime happening and you do nothing, you can be arrested for assisting because you were passive. And there's not much good that comes out of Texas, but I do like that idea where uh, if you sit there as a bystander and you do nothing, then you are effectively a part of the problem. And um, basically the discourse that I had with this individual was, well, you know, I think you're being ungrateful for good white people, um, which is a wild statement because I, first of all, have I don't need to be grateful for any white people. Um, and I, I don't need to be grateful for people in general if I don't know them. I don't worship any collective. Um, and I think it's certainly something that is frustrating, yes, but I think it, it tells a story of um, how much we normalize doing nothing. So pack it up to all those people who do nothing, defend it, and even try to normalize it within their own lives. You suck. Where we started the episode was centrists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for your packet ups. I, I hope that, you know, whether uh, it was uh, nurses in Wisconsin or no longer a uh, love interest, uh, that it was uh, therapeutic for you to get those out into the universe. But this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Casey, thank you so much for joining. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for guest hosting. And uh, we will be back next week. Um, if you like this episode, um, please uh, rate, review, subscribe on all the different platforms. And if you hated this episode, you can fuck off with Tucker Carlson. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We really like feedback. All right. Talk to you all next week. Bye.